first of three podcasts to celebrate her 10th season at the NAC, dance producer Kathy Levy takes the hot seat in an interview hosted by Barbara Laskin. As former head of the Canada Council Dance Section and former chair of the Canada Dance Festival, not to mention a longtime NAC dance subscriber, Barbara's unique perspective informs a fascinating discussion that helps us gain some insight into Kathy's incomparable passion for dance. It's been 10 years. I cannot believe that it's been 10 years that you've been at the NAC. But I thought I'd start just by asking you, what are your reflections on the last 10 years? Well, first of all, it's gone so quickly. I can't believe it. I mean, it feels like there are things I'm just getting started on. So it does feel like it's whizzed by. I guess if I were to reflect on it in a big way, I'd say that I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. And that, of course, there's been some hits and misses with some of the projects that we've brought in. But I feel at the end of the day, I can defend the choices we've made. And that, I think, as a producer and a programmer is something that I value greatly. Um, And I think that we, you know, I call ourselves, I call the dance department the little engine that could around here. And I think that we've, for a small department, made a lot of noise and had some impact and seen the audience grow. So... Mm -hmm. Overall, I'm really proud of what has been accomplished, and I just want to keep doing more. When you say you feel in some ways like you're just getting started, what do you mean by that? When you came in, did you have goals that you set for yourself for what you wanted to do with the dance department? I did. I mean, the dance department was in good shape when I came in. It wasn't like it was broken. My predecessors had done a wonderful job of building up the series as a place where important Canadian and international artists had come. But I felt like there was a lot to do around building connections between artistic projects and expanding our reach in areas that had become, I guess, more of a concern in the year 2000 than they'd been before. I mean, obvious things like... Uh, you know, new international choreographers who hadn't yet been in Canada and certainly not at the National Arts Centre, artists, major artists that had not been here for a very, very long time whose contribution was still being applauded elsewhere and I felt important, were important to bring in to Ottawa. And also, you know, looking down the road to our audiences and youth and trying to figure out how to make this art form, which is still, you know, in 2010, sometimes seen as quite marginal, how to make the art form more relevant or more um, a part of people's lives. So those were some of the lofty goals. And I think you realize when you come in and plan that there are big goals and there are small goals. And the small goals, I guess, were more... I want this artist to come here. How do I do that? How do I get Pina Bausch to come to the National Arts Centre? I say it's a small goal, not because it wasn't a big accomplishment, but because it's very particular. It's not about how do I get youth engaged in dance, which, of course, is a loftier goal and more long-term. It's a very specific goal. Here Here are the artists that have not been here that I feel should be here. How do I, one by one, attract them to the National Arts Centre? Do you, do you feel you've adopted a different approach? You've taken things in a slightly 
different or expanded direction or were you able just to kind of build and do some of those things that you that you mentioned well different and expanded are sort of two very different notions i think i think that in some ways we've built on what there was there's still the same framework. There's a ballet series, uh, a Southern Hall series A, a, a theater series B, a studio series C. So in some ways, we kept that framework because it seemed to, it still seems to allow us to frame within each of those series structures the kind of works that are appropriate for those venues and for those audiences. So in that way, we've expanded on something that already existed. But we've also, I think, done things differently because we've said to our audience, you need to not just come to see what you know. We don't want to just program to what we know you're going to like. Yes, of course, we're conscious of that. But the the approach to balance, the approach to what I like to call the horizontal experience and the vertical experience, the horizontal being the whole season and the vertical being the show by show, has had to be different because I've, I've made it a priority that people get excited and turned on to dance styles and types and artists that they would not have necessarily gone to. So one of the places we put a huge amount of emphasis in order to accomplish that is into our designer series, which is a pick and choose series, mm -hmm. which I've been a huge proponent for. If I'm not mistaken, you were the, the dance department was the first to take that approach. Isn't that right? I believe so. And it certainly has worked across all disciplines because, uh, you know, it makes sense. Why should we yes. assume that someone who wants to see Giselle only wants to see Giselle? Yes. That person could really enjoy Pina Bausch or Ballet Opera de Lyon or even Ballet de Genève on Series B with a contemporary program. Sure. So we really made that an important yeah. part of our mandate. And I've also been a big proponent around here for the multicultural, from the multidisciplinary uh -huh. uh, series because I do believe that people who like contemporary work are not just pigeonholed into liking contemporary mm -hmm. dance. I thought you did that just for me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, when I look at the brochure in the season, I want to see a whole range of stuff. And uh, curiously, when, you know, I've been coming to the National Arts Centre for 30 years, and and uh, initially I couldn't do it in the other disciplines, but I could do it in dance. Well, I did so that great. for you and all the people like you. <laughs> and, and the fact that there's more and more people like you, yeah. to me, is extremely important. It might not sound like a lot, but that to me is great. Yeah. You know, one subscriber at a time, one ticket buyer at a time. So how would you describe the audience for dance at the NAC now? And how was it when you found it? And how is it now? I think one of the things that's so particular about the audience here is that it is the general public. And I say that that's particular, it sounds so obvious, but as someone who travels a lot in Canada and outside, I know that a large portion of the audience in other major centers is comprised of the artistic community and the general public. And in Ottawa, you know, I say to the international artists who come here, hey folks, the dance milieu takes up one row of the house. It's a very different experience for them to play to the general public, to people who come to dance simply because they love the art form, not because it's something that they are doing in their daily lives or relate to in their daily lives. And the impact of that is huge because it means that you can't assume certain things will work or find their audience in a way you might be able to assume that in Montreal or Toronto or New York or Paris for that matter. So... 
I think I, when I came here, what I found was the audience was very segmented. You know, never crossed the line between classical ballet and even contemporary ballet. Um, and we didn't have at our fingertips enough information to know who our audience was. So I've really been drilling down on that with our marketing colleagues over the years and really trying to figure out who those people are and what they're interested in. And also, I don't think that we had um, a community of very loyal people. We had regular subscribers, but they weren't as much the kind of audience, and of course, this is a gross, gross generalization because, yeah, you know, you are not my typical audience. You are a dance-savvy person whose field and whose work has been involved in this art form for many, many years. So you're easier for me to attract. I can talk to you about X, Y, Z, and you know what I'm talking about. But to speak to people who don't necessarily have that experience, um, I also found that what I wanted to build was a sense of trust and fidelity so that if I said to them, hey, Akram Khan is a hot new young choreographer in the UK of Bangladeshi parents and his work is a very interesting fusion of these traditions and these contemporary styles that people would go, oh, because Kathy says so, I'm going to take a chance. Yeah. So yes, there are people who've been here for 30 years and 40 years and that's fantastic and we love them. And then there are people who were here 10 years ago and or here 20 years ago and stopped coming and I, we want to get them back. So it really has been a case of building up both a subscriber base and a single ticket base by learning how to talk to people who just love this art form and don't necessarily work in the field or work in any artistic field, but just feel that this art form is something that speaks to them. Let's talk about the art form for a moment. There's so much that could be said about this art form. I always had the feeling when I was working in dance that I was the fringe discipline, the one that was kind of left out. Do you have that feeling? Well, yes, I do, unfortunately. I I feel extremely supported at the National Arts Centre. I don't just mean me personally, but this art form. And the fact that the numbers continue to grow tells me that, you know, there is an audience out there. There's 5,700 subscribers. There's full houses for a lot of our shows. Uh, you know, as we've done things to expand our season, people seem to be responding, even though, you know, I'd like to do it tenfold and of course mm -hmm. I have to do it one little step at a time but um, but I do feel like in the big picture dance except perhaps the really classical white ballets dance mm -hmm. is still quite marginal and yes. people still in general find it to be an art form that is more difficult to grasp yes. compared to text-based work that has a story compared to orchestra, classical orchestra. But I would also say that contemporary theater has its challenges and contemporary music has its challenges. And that there is nothing beyond exposure that is going to work in developing interest in audiences. I mean, you know, we all talk about you know, how um, rejected uh, Stravinsky was when he first came onto the scene. And look, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 100 years later, celebrating these in incredible masterpieces. That will inevitably happen. I would like to, of course, see a little bit more of that in my lifetime, and I think <laughs> I have. And the fact that I can um, now chart people who are 
taking a chance more and more and coming to see work that they might not like. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't mean that they slam the door on coming back to dance forever. That, to me, is an accomplishment. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I do think we're a smaller department within the NEC, but I think that we, you know, we take our place here in a very major way. It's the only discipline that uses all three halls, not so much the fourth stage because the ceiling's very low, but certainly the studio, the theater, and Southern Hall. Uh, you know, we have alliances with the orchestra. We try to do projects, you know, within departments. Uh, and we have seen some expansion in the number of performances and therefore the number of audience. So, you know, the little engine that could. How do you, you're dealing with a range of work, everything from classical ballet to really way out there, abstract work. How do you help an audience to decipher meaning in dance, in, in the more abstract manifestations of it? I think you really have to look to the artist to help you do that. Because the artist, in many ways, is the best person to talk about where who they are and where the inspiration for their work came from. And so I'm not looking to the artist to tell me what it means, because a lot of artists will say, well, have your own opinion, go and experience yourself. But the voice of the artist, if I can be the transmitter of that voice to my audience, then to me, that's the most valuable thing. If I understand something about where the artist is coming from and understand my response to that artist's work, then I feel sure that I'll be able to, in some way or another, speak to my audience about that. So how do you do that? Pro is it program notes? Is you know, it it's, tr it's tricky because in our brochure, we have like 80 words in English and, I know. you know, 100 words in French. And, you know, we've, you know, we talked earlier about the hits and misses. Sometimes yeah. we've been in a situation where we describe something or we talk about something that perhaps is a work in progress or perhaps the artist takes a left turn in their creation process. By the time the work's, work gets here, it's not what we said. So, you know, now we're, we're luckier, of course, with technology. We can continue to update our website. We can um, talk about uh, talk about the work um, that I see along the way in some of our email correspondence with subscribers. Uh, we can do interviews with these artists long distance. I mean, things are faster. We can get reviews when work is premiering elsewhere and fill in the fill in the edges. But when you're first putting your brochure out there in April for a season that's going to start in October, sometimes you don't know. Mm -hmm. So you are asking the audience to take a leap of faith. Um, and, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. For sure, for sure. I think the fact that so many people turn out to uh, your season launch is a really fine indication of the fact that, you know, you've succeeded in building a level of trust with people. Thank you. And they enjoy hearing your perspective on it. You know, I have an example just recently from the beginning of our season, you know, when we presented Alain Platel's work, Out of Context for Pina, mm -hmm. uh, with his company Les Ballets de la Bay. You know, we did two nights in Series B in the theater, which in itself was something that I've started. You know, it was Series B used to only be one night point finale, and I've really been headstrong about making sure that it was at least two nights, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's mm -hmm. another 800 people we have to find who are going to come to the show. And there were very few walkouts. Now, it's not an easy piece. It's very abstract. It takes a lot of concentration. But I think what what made me feel so good about it, and I said this to the artist, is that 10 years down the road, we've learned how to speak to our audience. So an audience that reads the description or hears me speak about the work or goes on the website and gets more background information, reads the reviews once the work premieres, they know whether that piece is for them or not. And if they don't think it's going to be for them, that's not a choice they make, and that's fine. 
if they do think it's for them and they come and they don't like it, that's okay too. But they don't feel like, wait a second, you told me it was going to be Les Ballets and it's not Les Ballets. You told me it was going to be X and now it's Y. And so that's an interesting example for me, the fact that I sat in that house for two nights and watched a general audience engage in a work that, you know, just got slammed in New York by, you know, the supposed media savvy dance writers in New York and here got quite embraced. I mean, the artist even wrote me and said, boy, the audiences in Canada really got this piece way more than the audiences in New York. Well, here's the thing. Is the audience here sophisticated or not? I do think so. I think so. And I think that that's something that we have to applaud. They're sophisticated. They're expressive. Uh, they're not afraid to tell me when they don't like something. Of course, I like to hear from them when they do like something, too. Um, and what does sophisticated mean? Sophisticated means that they're open, that they're willing to embrace this huge spectrum of what we call particularly contemporary dance. Did you have a chance to hear the interview recently between Karen Kane and Jennifer Holmans? I did, on cue. Yes, on I Q, did, the cue debate. Uh, yeah. you but know, I haven't is, read Jennifer's piece yet, well, unfortunately. She's, she's written a piece in The New Republic, uh, the title of which I think is Ballet is Over. Is ballet over? No. And Karen argued strenuously that it was not over. You know, I think I, I unfortunately um, turned on to the interview five minutes into it, so because I was driving and... Um, so I don't know if at the beginning people like Bill Forsyth were mentioned, but I heard people like Christopher Wheeldon and Alexei yes. Ratmansky and people like that mentioned later on in the interview. But, I mean, let's face it. You look at Forsyth, and you, people might not like what Forsyth is doing now with the Forsyth company, but when you look at the work, and you know, I love it, but it is very it's out there. It's very abstract. It's astonishing. But when you look at what he did with the ballet vocabulary, with the Frankfurt Ballet, just like Balanchine did in those early years, I mean, this is essential ballet technique for which dancers come in every morning and do fouettes and pirouettes and chasse pas de bourrée. It's the ballet training that has allowed him and many others to take those bodies and make them do what they do. Jean-Christophe Maillot from Ballet de Monte Carlo. You know, a few years ago, we showed his Midsummer Night's Dream on our ballet series. Mm -hmm. And I was scared to death about showing that piece on ballet because I thought, oh my gosh, my ballet audiences are going to run out of here screaming. And they loved it. So... You know, I think that you cannot say ballet is dead because ballet itself, I think the argument is, is white classical ballet dead? And no, I didn't hear in that interview the discernment between the white classical ballet and ballet itself. Um, And, you know, I don't think it's dead. I think there are still people who care about it desperately, who want to see new productions, who, um, who are interested in supporting the work that companies do, and certainly, as Karen articulated, ballerinas and soloists who aspire to doing those roles because they are still some of the most demanding roles technically and dramatically in the repertoire. Absolutely. Well, I was, I'm interested that this year you're bringing the, the, the Mariinsky, the, the Kirov, the Kirov mm-hmm. uh, and they're doing an old, old ballet seldom seen anymore from the repertoire. But it's a beautiful ballet. It's and, a beautiful ballet. And one of the reasons we decided to bring it is because it's seldom seen. Yes, you of know, course. Because it's seen in Europe, and many companies in Europe have it, and of course both the big, the Bolshoi and the Kirov have it uh, in Russia, but North American companies mm-hmm. generally only do Act Three. So it's a really, and it's such a beautiful white ballet. I mean, it's fantastic. And so, but it's going to be more of a challenge than yeah. Swan Lake. Well, of course, and part of the challenge also is to mount those ballets, you need a huge company. You do. And, and a there huge aren't orchestra. that many of them anymore no, this because, is true. Of, because of the finances of the thing. 
So talk about that a little bit, because in Canada, we tend to think of the National Ballet and the Royal Winnipeg as big companies, but in the international context, they're not. No, they aren't. I mean, the National, yes, is bigger, certainly, than the Royal Winnipeg. But when you think about Les Grands Ballets doing mostly contemporary work, 36 dancers, Alberta Ballet, I think, might be up to 30 Ballet BC is trying, of course, to get back on their feet, and the uh, mm-hmm. Emily Molnar is doing a great job. I think they might have, they have 22, 24. These are smaller right. companies. You're right. right. But you know what, Barbara? There's hundreds of them. Yes. There's hundreds of those companies around the world. These, That is much more the norm than the Kirov Absolutely. and the Bolshoi. And, and I think to some degree drives the creativity because they can't do the classical works. They must do smaller works, and that has fueled a whole lot of choreographers to create for them. I agree. And then you look at companies like the Kirov, who, you know, who had Forsyth in a couple of years ago, setting his second detail on them, or Paris Opera Ballet, who worked with Angelin Prajocage. You know, mm-hmm. it was a, quite a beautiful contemporary mm-hmm. choreographer from France. And, uh, you know, companies, uh, you know, I mean, the Paris Opera Ballet had Pina in years ago to do her yes. her opera. Yes. These are companies who are steeped in the traditions of Paquita and Swan Lake and Sleeping Beauty, and yet... Their artistic directors are visionary enough, as is Karen Kane, to see that bringing in contemporary work is important to expanding upon the versatility and artistry of their dancers. So, but they know that Mm -hmm. by doing that, they're potentially slitting their own wrists because they've got a harder harder hill to climb to get audiences in. But I say all the more power to them. And if I can support that Uh here... Because what I what I say always is dance is no longer just this or that. You yes. know, remember Anna Wyman's Absolutely. piece, you know, from the early 70s, dance is this and this and this, you know, and she had dancers coming in on bicycles. And I mean, you know, she had something in that very quirky, simple and quite beautiful little piece that really is true 30 years later is that we... We have to, on some really basic level, okay, it's true, I can't go on stage and do 32 fuetes, but I can appreciate um, that that the desire to move and the desire to dance is something that I can tap into in a number of people. And so, and when you look at the demand at the ballet schools and people who are desperately trying to get in, I think it's hard to say mm-hmm. that ballet is dead. Mm-hmm. I have found it fascinating to watch uh, what's been going on with opera, uh, with the broadcast live from the Met. Uh, I think you know, 10, 15 years ago, we were all asking the same question about opera. Perhaps. Is opera dying? I can't get a ticket to see Robert Lepage's opera no, in, the, in the cinemas. It's, it's been sold out for weeks. Yeah. It's completely oversold in Ottawa. Mm. I gather it's the same elsewhere. Yeah. Is this an experiment that could spill over into dance successfully, do you think? Well, the National certainly tried to do it with the Nutcracker, and they got a lot of pushback from other companies, which is very unfortunate, I think. I mean, you know... How do you mean? Well, they, they um, did the cinema broadcast of the Nutcracker, and many, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say many. There were f- a few uh, artistic directors of other ballet companies in Canada who spoke out against them. It was a big thing in the press because they didn't want the Nutcracker film coming into the market when the companies oh, were doing the Nutcracker. They saw it as as uh, potentially hurting their market. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I can't argue. I'm not in those marketplaces and I can't argue. But, you know, my feeling is more is more. <laughs> so, you know, I I am a big proponent for exposure, and Do you think film is 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 a medium that conveys dance successfully? Well, you have to remember it's a two-dimensional format primarily, unless we're starting to film dance in 3D, and it's a 3D art form. So 
I think that there have been some magnificent films. And I do think that if it's a way to get people mm-hmm. interested in the art form, I'm all for it. And we often show films when we can alongside presentations of, of different companies. Certainly we've done that with Pina and other great yes. artists who've been here who have wonderful film work. Um, I think that the most successful dance films are films that are made as films. In other words, they're not just captation or straight documentaries of ballets. Yes. That they are films that have been made with multi-cameras on stage and really capturing, you know, the essence of dance. So, yes, I do think Mm -hmm. dance on film is a very, very important art form. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to get back to the idea of the ballet, let's not forget also that the the most important contemporary and modern dance trends have come out of rejection of styles that have come before. And I think they continue to be that way. So the now we're seeing enormous influence from culture-specific forms, you know, Katak and Bharatnatyam and, and uh, disco and, you know, things that are yeah. very specific to societal dance and folk dance and culture-specific dance. Those things are seeping into if you want to call it theatrical contemporary dance, you know, sort of the, the, the black box theater experience. And I think we're, we're needing to stop and recognize that there's a certain constant play of embracing and rejecting what has come before that is as typical as an adolescent rejecting their parents, <laughs> you know, that, are, that is going to have influence mm-hmm. on this art form. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's primarily not a language-based art form also means that it can have a universal influence. Yes. Um, people always ask me, do you watch So You Think You Can Dance? And do you think So You Think You Can Dance has has helped your audience? And, you know, it's really, I mean. <laughs> I get the same question. It's very, and what yeah, do you say? Yeah, I don't care for it myself so I don't watch it but, but you know then you get Karen Kane and Max sure. Harrington as judges sure. on So You Think You Can Dance Canada and it's you know no doubt has a big audience absolutely, absolutely. that's all for this edition of NAC Dance Podcast join us next time for part two of the conversation with Kathy Levy please send us your comments and questions you can email us at NAC podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca. There you will find past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, this is Alary Evans saying goodbye from Canada's NAC Dance.